Well, we know it's been a tumultuous time for Rugby Union, but there's been a reset and a significant reset as it looks towards some things that on the calendar that are really in rugby's favour. Bulldog, there's a British and Irish Lions tour in 2025. That's massive. And there's a World Cup of Rugby in Australia in 2027. So as it repositions and puts the misfortunes of 2023 behind it, it has got good product to sell. The new chairman of the Australian Rugby Union, or Rugby Australia, after all the dramas with Hamish McLennan and everything went down with Eddie Jones, he's taken the mantle and he was a long-term wallaby himself, so he knows what he's talking about and he's given us some time on a Sunday morning. Dan Herbert, how are you, Dan? Good morning, guys, and good morning to all your listeners. Hey, Dan, I suppose you take on this job now and you're on the board of Rugby Australia. Do you ever look at the enormity of the task and think, what have I done, or... As a former Wallaby yourself and working with a former Wallaby in Phil War as the CEO, do you go, I'm glad it's us two blokes doing it because we know what to do? Oh, look, I don't think anyone ever has all the answers. I think you, you know, you've got to, you've got to consult with a lot of different people because you might have a view, but there's always competing views and, uh, and viewpoints. So, look, I'm, you know, I'm certainly, I think Phil's the same way. Uh, we, we have, you know, we both have, and as do all the other board members, have ideas of uh, what to do, but you know we have to we have to um, get these stakeholders along for the journey, and uh, you know you've got to involve them because otherwise you know you can sit up front and say this is what we're going to do, but if they don't come along with you, then you're talking to an empty room. So uh, look, there's there's a big task, there's no doubt, but it, you know it's baby steps. There's a couple of big ticket items that we just need to fix, and then that'll get us the momentum we need to go into these big ticket events that you mentioned. Just those big ticket events. What are they? What 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 are the top couple of priorities? Oh, I've been look. I've been waxing lyrical for a little while now about the the high performance aspect of our game or the professional game, if you want to call it that. You know, the way that we're structured currently isn't uh, isn't optimal, and uh, you know, this has been ongoing since uh, since rugby went professional, where it was you know under a federated model. When you're competing internationally, it's you know it becomes very hard when they're you know other teams that you're competing against are working to a different system. So. You know, we have, and really, it's the uh, it's the club and state scenario where you know you've got professional athletes, uh, men and women, who are effectively working to two different programs across a twelve month period, and then you know they're different, um, I guess, different things in different states, and then you get to a wallaby setup, and you know every wallaby coach that I've had uh, I've had something to do with over the last fifteen twenty years, they'll always complain when all the players come in and they'll say they're not fit, they're busted, they you know they're they're not ready to play. You know, we've got to play New Zealand in 10 or 14 days and these guys aren't ready. And it's because we just don't have one single aligned system around making sure there's oversight of the development and the, uh, the the care of the players. And if we can get to an agreement around that, then it gives us gives us a good chance. Uh, Daniel, let's cut to the chase here with Hamish McLennan. Were you disappointed at how he left, which to many appeared to be quite bitter? Uh well, look, I don't, I don't really want to talk about, you know, my, I, I would say Hamish put his heart and soul into this for a number of years. And, you know, he didn't have to. He stepped in at a time when it was very tumultuous back then, two, three years ago. And uh, and he put his heart and soul. In, and he's disappointed with, uh, I think, understandably, with what happened. Um, you know, we all make mistakes around, uh, around some steps that we take from time to time. And, and I think what perhaps, uh, you know, we need to, 
keep cognizant of is the fact that there are a lot of stakeholders. You know, Rugby Australia, and Phil has said this the other day, Rugby Australia doesn't own the game. The community owns the game. The people, the fans uh, and the community stakeholders own the game. We're just there to serve for a period of time and, and to try to do our best to put it on the right track. So I think Hamish, you know, I think probably had an, an emotional reaction to what he thought was unfair. And so I'm not going to criticise him for that. So, Dan, you, you, you talk about the, the stakeholders of the game and the owners of the game are the public. And, and, and as you undergo this reset, which is what it is under yourself and Phil, club rugby's never been stronger. Mm. Um, provincial rugby's having a bit of a struggle. You know, blokes like you and I who came out of the Brisbane system can sit back and go, oh, I wish we could just go back to Ballymore and drink rum and coke on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Well, you know what I mean? Look, but that's not going to happen. You know, so, so you got to bring everyone along together, don't you? Yeah, and there's look, there's a there's a reality that things are different now to what they were. And I remember when I was at Queensland Rugby many years ago. You know, we surveyed um, all of our membership, and uh, we thought that there'd be an overwhelming response that people would love to take games back to Ballymore. But it was interesting because a lot of the fans are actually happy with it at Suncorp because of the ease of getting in and out and saying that you know I don't want to be stuck in my car for two or three hours um, trying to get my kids home and, you know, I want to be able to have a beer when I'm there and not have to worry about driving and, and transport. So I think there's just a reality around um, and certainly we took the view and, and I would take the view of, well, you've just got to do your best to fill the stadium and how are you going to fill the stadium? You're going to fill the stadium by winning and competing a hell of a lot better and that starts with, again, back to my previous point, we've got to have an aligned system that allows the, the athletes to perform at their best and at the moment we just don't have that. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, people go, oh, you know, Suncorp this, or, you know, the Waratahs are struggling to fill Allianz. But there were times in the past decade and a bit when the Reds won Super Rugby and the Waratahs won Super Rugby as well. I know it's, you know, been a little while, but it is only in recent memory that they won it. And in those years, both Suncorp Stadium and the old Sydney Football Stadium were heaving. Yeah, absolutely. No, again, I was the commercial head at, um, at Queensland Rugby, and you know, we uh, at the time, you know, you and Mackenzie came in. We had a yeah a guy called Jim Carmichael come in as the he came in from the AFL um, as the CEO and had a very commercial um, approach. and And we were we were selling now because of Suncorp Stadium with the the members there. There's a certain allocation to go to members, but there was only I think we were. Our crowds were averaging about 34,000, but we were selling 38,000 tickets uh, to a game. And I remember looking at it going, even if we sell the additional 12,000 tickets, it's actually only going to be another X amount of revenue, which isn't a game changer. So, you know, you then start to look at other things. So it was a good position to be in thinking, you know, and that and that came off the back of team performance. It was an exciting team. We had, a, you know, Genia, Cooper, uh, Dick Yuani and Horwell. So it was a good crew of kids coming through. Um, and a good coach, and, and they connected well with you know the clubs and the community, I thought, at the time as well. There was yeah. a lot of activity happening off the field to make sure that um, you know they were connected and, and people got behind it. But there is always a swing factor where you've got your rusted-ons who might be 10,000, 15,000 people, and then there's a the swing factor of if the Lions are performing, you watch their, you watch their crowds go up. Yeah. The Broncos have a higher, you know, much higher stable sort of set group of people who will go. We get the swing factor, and if we can get... Yeah, you know, and I think scheduling is a bit of part of it. The problem as well, you know, we've got school rugby, club rugby, then provincial rugby, all happening at the same time. And sometimes, you know, we're we're competing with it ourselves for that rugby market. So I think that's something that we need to look at as well. But you know, I, I come back to I know it's very simplistic, but winning cures a lot of ills. And if we can be a lot more competitive, when we were, you know, talking about 2011 and 14. 
generally we were winning uh, 40 to 50% of our games against New Zealand opposition. And yeah. now we're down to around 20, 20%. So, and people, you know, I said the other day, people don't want to pay good money to see a bad movie. They want to know that they're going to support something that is at its best. You know, professional rugby is about winning. And, you know, community rugby is about um, inclusion and being part of a great club and, you know what you mentioned before, your old club, my old club. You know, there's thousands of kids running down there, and it's oh. a bit of too, it's it's two speed in some ways because some of those clubs are absolutely flying, never been better. And there's some, you know, particularly in some of the regional areas, where it's often dependent on a, uh, a local champion to to drive it. So I'm not saying it's all healthy, but I think it's very very healthy and probably in some ways healthier than it's ever been. But it's that professional game that we've got to we've got to try and fix and that you know that comes back to for me very simplistically we've got to have our players performing at their optimum and uh, and that requires a systemic change so this view that if we just get a new coach you know we've been we've been you know and I was reading a 2011 report last night that talked about how um, Australians and, and rugby in particular uh, like to treat incoming coaches like godlike figures where they can come in and they can sprinkle their their magic dust and all of a sudden things are going to turn around then when it doesn't happen um, we turn on the coach and then we kick the coach out and, and we've got to get out of that rhythm and that thinking and that's from 2011 so and we were do- we were doing a bit better then too so this and that's why I've, I've you know my narrative has been around it's a system issue stop thinking it's going to be a coach it's a system issue we need to fix the foundation then we can worry about what the coach can or can't do. Uh, Dan the now that the Eddie Jones fiasco has thankfully ended, uh, you just talked about the coach. Uh, when do you think a decision will be made? And is there an internal leaning inside Rugby Australia to choose an Australian? Uh, we would like we would like the coach in place for Super Rugby, which is kind of you know the end of February. Um, now that'll that'll be determined. You know, we'll have hopefully in the next few weeks we'll have our high performance director sorted. They'll then uh, they'll then run the process. But we already know, you know, between Phil and I and others that there's a short list of people that you know that um, potentially could come into that role. So uh, and some of them have reached out and, and we will reach out to some of the others um, shortly. But um, we do want to make it around the, the high performance director. Um, so, so yeah, probably around February. And sorry, Bulldog, what was the second part of the question? Whether there's a leaning toward choosing an, an Australian. Australian. Uh, look, uh, my personal view is, and I've discussed this with some of the board members. I think it, I think it comes back to who's going to give us the best opportunity to win. And you know, I don't, I, I come back to winning, and and whether they're Australian or not doesn't, uh, doesn't affect. You know, for me, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, I just want to get the best coach, and uh, I think most of the other board are in agreement that we just need the best, the person who's going to help us win. Um, the best, and uh, whether that's an Australian, I think if all things are equal, and you've got an Australian candidate, and you've got a, an international candidate, and they're like for like, uh, you'll go for the Australian every day of the week. But I think if there is a gap there, then I think we go with whoever the best candidate is. And I know that um, I know that that will be uh, controversial for some because they feel only an Australian can coach an Australian team, and I just don't think that's you know, I just don't think that's true. I think there are countless global sports who have international coaches and uh, and have done very, very well. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I would say the best candidate over, over being an Australian is the sort of guiding principle. There's a lot of narrative going on in the, the newspapers about private investment and the, the need for money and all those things, Dan. But I, th- I think the greatest lesson rugby could could 
teach broadcasters and sponsors going forward is what happened with the women in the FIFA Women's World Cup this year when the broadcasters just didn't properly understand how big it could be and I think Channel 7 ended up broadcasting the match and and making a fortune out of it because they paid pittance for it. You know, rugby's got some good assets to sell over the next couple of years and no one would want to estimate how big a British and Irish Lions tour is and how big a Rugby World Cup is. Like, there'll be massive eyeballs on those events. Yeah, I think because rugby is a bit of a niche sport in Australia, we uh, we don't, you know, a lot of the public don't understand the, I guess, the, the size of those events. I mean, the Huge. the British the British and Irish Lions, it'll, you know, it'll have a massive broadcast audience internationally, and and they take over the cities when they arrive. I don't know if you remember breeding back in yeah two thousand one, they I drank do. the 4X brewery drive. Um, so you know, four X ran out of beer. Four X ran out of beer. Brady was in the middle of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it it will be massive, and they and they're. They're well behaved too. I mean, I, yep. I remember that 2001. I don't think there were was any incident with them. They self, they sort of self correct each other and manage each other. So they're they're uh, they're here to have fun. But they will they will tip an enormous amount of money into enormous amount of pound into our economy. And then uh, and then obviously the World Cup. You know, the, we've got the men's in 27 and the women's in 29. Um, so there's there's some really big ticket events. We've got the Nations uh, Cup, I think it's called, which is the new international tournament kicking off in 26, um, and that you know that's going to have a better share of revenue for a lot of uh, a lot of countries because you know that's something that is a bit of a struggle down here where you know if you you can up in the north there's just more from a broadcast point of view. England own their own stadium at Twickenham, so they can make a hell of a lot of money out of home games. And so I think this starts to you know balance out some of those for some of the some of the nations that that don't make as much out of that. So there's some good yeah there's some really good product coming down the line. But I come back to what are the what does the fan want? The fan wants to make sure that we're winning or at least in a position to take it right down to the wire. To do that, we've got to we've got to fix our our system, our performance system, and then uh, and then our players as well. You know, what as a player, all you want to do is make sure that you're committing all this time and effort. You want to make sure you're in the best environment that is going to help you win trophies. And uh, you know, our trophy cabinet's been pretty bare for a little while. Dan, before you go, a little birdie has told me that you played for GPS in Brisbane, and the bloke sitting alongside me played for Easts. Run us through what he was like as a player. Could he tackle? Dan won't remember. Could he tackle? And do you remember him, or was he just Dan a glorified remember. bench player? Uh, look, I remember playing. I don't remember exactly a lot of the people that I played against, but I do remember uh, East was always a big a big game for Jeeps. Um, and uh, I remember East had plenty of good centres running around at the time. And had a but you haven't mentioned his name yet. <laughs> I wasn't very... one of them. <laughs> I, I, only, I reckon I played against Dan like twice. I played against his brother Anthony significantly more times. And I was talking about that new tackle rule earlier, you know, tackling mm. below the sternum, yeah. Dan, and having to have to tackle you and your brother, uh, Tim Hoare and Jason Little, Michael Cook and all those blokes – if I had one less option to tackle you blokes, it would have been a disaster, an, an absolute disaster. But that was the great thing about club rugby back in the day, that a guy of my standard who was only a club player got to play against you guys, Dan. That was amazing. Yeah, and I think that's that's something Phil's spoken to as well. We have to we have to bridge that connection because the, the clubs are the beating heart of the game, really. I mean, the... If you look at, at Super Rugby, it's you know it's a it's a tournament and, and was a world leading tournament. We need to get it back there. The, yeah. the Wallabies, 
you know, it's a great uh, great way to try and flush out your best players in your country. And then the Wallabies, the Wallabies go from town to town playing big test matches, and uh, and they will always have the support because the whole nation can get behind them. So the Wallabies work if they win. Um, the clubs are the beating heart, and that's where you know I think probably too much over over a period of time with the professionalism. You know, we can forget that, but uh, you know, and I've you know been down at my club and various clubs, and you know, even just Wallabies players just visiting there, they don't even have to play, just visiting there, all the kids yep. uh, get excited and so forth. So I think there's, um, you know, back in the day, you used to have uh, Tony Shaw and Co. who'd play a Test match on the Saturday and then turn up and play for Brothers on Sunday. We may not, we may not get to that point during the season, but certainly once any of the players are available, then you know we want them playing. One of the the biggest things that Dave Rennie and uh, Robbie Deans have said to me over the years is just their surprise when they come over here how little rugby our guys play from school to club, etc. And uh, one of them made the, the comparison, Richie Moanga to Noel Alessio, because they were the two tens at the time. And he said, this guy's, as in uh, Richie Moanga, has played five times the number of top-class games that this guy has. Now, of course, he's going to be better because he's playing a lot more rugby and yeah. you know, the schools play more. So that's... I think that's something we have to, um, you know, we have to make sure is a sort of a guiding principle that our players are playing more, and uh, they've got to get that connection with the clubs because that's where, you know, that's the beating heart. And you don't want, whilst there's two different streams of, one's a community stream and one's a professional stream, you know, it still is one code. And the fan, the fan of the fan of one is usually the fan of the other as well. So we've got to make sure that we, um, you they know, are. That we, we do that. They are fans, like you know, like. You might go to the beer garden at, at Jeeps on a Saturday afternoon for a club game, and in the beer garden they might be all whinging about the state of the Wallabies, but guess what? They still love them. They still love them. Hey, Dan, I think the fact that you're reading 2011 reports on a Saturday night in 2023 as the new chairman of Rugby Australia, I think they found the right man for the job. Thanks so much for your generous time this morning. Been my pleasure. Good. Thanks, Judge.